MacCast, Thursday, January 12th, 2023. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome to a new year. Hey, I took a little break, and uh, I'm coming back feeling really nice and refreshed. I hope you had some time to enjoy yourself here at the end of last year, or I guess past in the last year. Can't believe it's already 2023. Yep, and I didn't get the intro wrong. <laughs> I often do that. There's probably even some recordings of past years where I uh, gave the wrong year and the little date stamp at the beginning of the show. But got it right this time, and uh, looks like we are going to be looking ahead at uh, what 2023 might look like for Apple. A lot of the news and information is kind of speculating what's going to be happening over the next year. So we're going to get into a bunch of stories related to that. We have headset stories. We're going to be talking about Mac upgrades and iPad upgrades. We're going to talk about new Apple products and technologies. We're going to talk about the Dynamic Island a little bit and some interesting things around that and displays and a whole lot more. Lots of hardware and uh, Apple news to get into in this episode. Then we'll all also kind of follow things up i have an answer to our apple music question yeah definitive answer and also a, a recommendation from a listener if you're into that kind of audio stuff and then we're going to get in to maybe starting a year off with a clean slate and i have a thing of the moment for you based on um my move. It'll make a little more sense when we get to that, but it should be a great episode. Glad you're here hanging out with me in 2023. Uh, I say we just dive right into things. As you might imagine, 2023 has started off with a bevy, a plethora, a bunch of Apple ARVR headset rumors, some even with some conflicting info, but it's looking like yeah, 2023 might be the year, folks, the year of the Apple headset, and Apple seems to be doubling down and focusing, at least if the rumors are to be believed. First off, we have the site, the information with some details on what some of the features might look like, saying that there could be a dial on the device, kind of like a digital crown used for scrolling between basically the AR and VR modes. So that's kind of interesting. It, I was thinking about that, and that's a fun little feature. If you can kind of mix your mixed reality with a with a dial, <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Not really sure how that would work in practice, uh, in what and and in what situations you'd be kind of toggling between AR and VR. I guess you can go kind of full heads down, or you know, bring the world back into focus with a little bit a little twist of a dial. So kind of an interesting thing. I like the idea of that. I. I'm very curious now to see the implementation, I guess, is where I'm at with it. Uh, they also said, though, that Apple is going to have a battery pack that is separate from the headset that you would wear on your waist and that it only lasts two hours. So that sounds kind of, one, awkward to me that you're going to be 
tethered to this thing in sort of a way. And also, two hours? I mean, you can't get a battery into the headset that's light enough to last two hours. Uh, If you're going to have a battery pack, I would imagine you'd want to do that for longer battery life. So I'm hoping... That part of this story is not reality, especially if this is a $3,000 device. That's not going to go over very well unless unless Apple can really spin the reason for that. I mean, they're good at their spin, but I don't know if they're that good. There's also rumors saying that it's a design that uses aluminum glass and carbon fiber to help reduce size and weight. I know in early reports that was like a big thing for Apple, reducing the weight, which may be why... They are moving toward the battery thing. On the battery thing, just to clarify, there have been rumors that Apple's kind of looked at both things. It just seems like, according to the information, that they're swinging back toward that battery pack thing. Uh, For controls, they say it's going to support hand gestures and voice recognition, not really have any hand controllers, although they mention that Apple did some testing with thimble and wand-like controllers, but ultimately it's going to have a bunch of sensors, a bunch of things on it, and you're just going to use your hands. That may be a kind of, I think, downer for folks who are looking at this more as a gaming device. But there's also some rumors that that's not really the focus of the device for Apple. Uh, There are speakers in the headband, but there were also mentions that you could use AirPods and the H2 chip for more privacy. Because I guess the built-in headphones in the headband or speakers in the headband kind of leak audio a little bit. So if you want something more private, you can use your AirPods and uh, they mentioned that you can use the AirPods because the H2 chip secretly has a low latency transmission mode, I guess specifically designed, and this would be the latest versions of the AirPods uh, for connecting with the headset. They also mentioned that there might be a special alternate headband for developers that would allow them to connect the headset directly to a Mac. Uh, Originally, there were kind of these rumors that headbands might be swappable, kind of like your uh, Apple Watch band. But because they have electronics in them, speakers and possibly batteries, hopefully batteries, because again, I don't like that tethering idea. Um, Apple may have abandoned the idea of swappable headbands. And then they kind of reiterated some of the rumors we had heard previously uh, that it would have 4K micro LED displays, one for each eye. Uh, They did mention something about magnetically attachable custom prescription lenses for folks that wear glasses. And that just sounds, one, expensive, and two, a bummer if I, you know, I'm a glasses, I have glasses. Uh, if I have to buy a separate thing and get a separate prescri- set of prescription lenses probably ordered uh, to, f- to fit inside the device rather than just being able to wear the headset over my glasses. But I guess it would make it a more compact design. So it's an interesting, another thing, an interesting design decision. Um, but I just don't know how well received that might be. There's still that rumor that it's going to have a display on the outside of the device and use cameras and technology inside to detect your facial expressions and kind of broadcast or display those if you want to outside viewers. I'm calling that creepy mode. I just think it's going to look really bizarre uh, to have this sort of digital face looking out at you. I don't know if they'll do a whole emoji kind of thing and try and make it a little more animated to reduce the creep level, but... 
Yeah. I, I mean, I'm reserving judgment. I say that kind of jokingly because I'm really reserving judgment until the thing actually is launched. But I just don't see how that can work and, and be anything but creepy. But just my opinion. You can share your thoughts with me on what you think that might look like. Um, they say it will use an M2 processor and dozens of cameras and sensors. Uh, and again, that the focus won't be gaming and that Again, some strange things in this report. They mentioned video conferencing. Apple thinking that video conferencing is the killer app for this. I mean, it's going to be a good app. I mean, being on a Zoom call and in video conferencing, but everybody's going to have to have an expensive Apple headset. And I just don't see the uptake happening, you know, for a $3,000 device, which is what they're thinking this is going to be priced at when it comes up. They also mention you'll be able to do cool things like when you're in front of your Mac, grab your Apple map and sort of drag it off the Mac screen and onto a virtual tabletop surface and you get 3D tabletop maps. So it's going to have some interesting, uh, you know, augmented reality applications. Question is, is it going to be enough to really sell devices? Again, early on, early adopters, it's really going to be a premium device. I think no one's going to find surprise in that. And I have a feeling a lot of that early stuff is going to be the R&D, public R&D for Apple kind of trying to figure out uh, the best applications for this. But really, with the pricing and all the stuff we're hearing about this, it's really going to come down to that, right? Apple really has to step it up and do something new and innovative and do the thing that they do, which is show us why we need this device in our lives. And so far, some of these things I'm hearing, especially from this report, seem a little bit odd. Of course, these are all just rumors and speculations, so take them all, as always, with a little grain of salt, but that's kind of the latest on the device. And then we have <clears throat> the name, which they're saying might be Reality Pro, Okay, that's okay, because we're also hearing that the OS that powers the headset might be called Reality OS. Uh, and if, as a matter of fact, this week we also heard it could be XR OS, which I think stands for Extreme Reality OS. Um, and then Apple just launched the new Apple Music, Apple TV, and Apple device apps for Windows on the Windows Store this week. They had some preview versions posted just ahead of that, and developers found references in the code to both XROS and Reality OS. So it looks like Apple is gearing up to have a release of this device sometime this year. And we'll talk about when that might happen. Um, Ming-Chi Kuo thinks that development delays have pushed the release of the device back to the second or third quarter of this year. I think at one point we had heard possibly it could come out at the beginning of 2023. He specifically said there's issues with drop testing, so durability. I mean, again, if you're buying a $3,000 headset, things going to need to be dur durable, but also uh, software and development tools. So we are expecting maybe there could be an announcement toward the end of the spring and then kind of a follow-up at WWDC. Mark Gurman thinks the same sort of thing, spring announcement, followed by additional details and software development tools at the Worldwide Developer Conference. And um, finally, he mentions that Apple, in order to meet these deadlines, is having to shift a lot of resources internally to focus on the headset, and that could potentially impact other, impact other projects and timelines. Specifically, he mentions the next OS updates, iOS 17 and macOS 14, Apple kind of rolling back some of the features and plans for those to kind of make room for the headset. So 
2023 looking like it's going to be the year of the headset apple really doubling down and focusing on this and it's potentially going to be impacting other apple products and speaking of those products we are hearing a lot of rumors that 2023 might be a little bit lackluster for upgrades for a number of reasons um the headset thing being one of them and just resources i think also probably the whole remote work thing that was triggered by the pandemic we've got supply chain issues and things like that so it would kind of make sense that apple would kind of roll back and kind of make this a bumpier an upgrade year for a lot of things and uh you know economy and all that sort of stuff so there's a lot of factors i think weighing into this and that's why i think we're hearing some of these stories but it's definitely going to be pretty tame for apple hardware outside probably that new headset so if we're looking for anything revolutionary sounding like the headset's going to be it analysts like mark Gurman are indicating that the ipad will only see minor enhancements and refreshes this year pretty much just a spec bump and apple reserving a lot of the big feature upgrades until 2024 the plans look pretty much the same for the 14 inch and 16 inch macbook pro updates we're expecting new m2 pro and m2 max chips bringing kind of a slight performance increase and maybe to make things a little bit worse, DigiTimes claims that the original early 2023 release date, remember we were thinking maybe we might see those at the end of uh, last year. Now it's looking like the release date, which was expected to be, again, first half of this year, could also be delayed. So maybe more of a worldwide developer conference announcement or spring announcement for the new MacBook Pros. But again, just minor updates there. Kerman also says the new Mac Pro, which many people have been waiting on, is likely going to have the same exact design as the current model, so no design change. And it's not going to have expandable memory. That's not that surprising because Apple's moving to Apple Silicon, which has its unified memory architecture. So, you know, that was expected to go away. And then the case would remain upgradable, which kind of separates it from the Mac Studio. So you're going to have two spare SSD slots, um, slots for graphic car graphics cards and media networking cards and all that stuff. So you're going to have still the expandability of the current case, new M2 processors, but not any kind of major redesign for the Mac Pro, which is pretty surprising considering how long it's taken them. So I'm guessing the the time and delays have been really around, um, you know, the M2 chips and and what they're going to do with those. Updates for the 24-inch iMac are not expected until we have an an M3, and that's not expected this year. So you're looking 2024 for an iMac update. So if you've been waiting on that, you're probably going to be waiting a little while longer. The one small hope we have for Mac hardware in 2023 looks like it might be a 15-inch update to the MacBook Air. So slightly larger MacBook Air. I would imagine the design would stay roughly the same, similar to the 13-inch design. Uh, and Apple could offer an M2 Pro chip option along with an M2 option in that model. There was also a rumor for a while that there might be a 12-inch design, a slightly smaller design, and it's looking like that 
probably is not going to happen in 2023 at this point. Again, remember with all these things, it's early days. Apple could change their minds. They could do something different. But that's just kind of the, what we're hearing in the community right now. And then Ming-Chi Kuo did say that there are going to be next generation updates for the AirPods Max and AirPods, but they're likely, again, not going to be here until the second half of 2024 or the first half of 2025. So those are way out there. The AirPods are expected to get a more affordable version. We've been hearing that rumor for a while, but again, not happening for another year. Coming in at 99 bucks, I mean, that's that's a great price point. I think they start at 129 now, so a little bit of a drop, but that far out. Again, overall, folks, what I'm kind of feeling like is, again, 2023 going to be, I don't want to use the word lackluster, you know, because I think that diminishes it a little bit. It's going to be a refinement revisioning year for a lot of the products. So simple updates, simple upgrades. That's good news for some of us on our pocketbooks. I might not be spending as much in 2023 and I can save my pennies for all those big updates coming in 2024. So if you're good with your hardware right now, you're probably going to be okay. If you've been waiting a while and looking for an update, these are still going to be some nice upgrades, just not major ones happening uh, this year, at least as far as we can tell right now. Again, anything could change. we got a whole year ahead of us, so uh, we'll have to wait and see what, what happens. Um, another product that had been rumored for a while that's looking like it might not happen is a larger iPad Pro. Display analyst Ross Young says Apple was exploring the idea of a larger 14.1-inch iPad Pro, but they seem to have shelved the idea, at least for now. They may still have it in 2024. They've been playing around with larger designs. We've heard designs even all the way up to, I think, 15, 16 inches, something like that. So kind of a massive iPad. Uh, the 11-inch and 13-inch models are still expected to get upgrades this year. They might get OLED displays, in fact. So that's a nice little bump there. Physical sizes were, would remain the same. Bezels tightening up a little bit to make room for the slightly larger screens. Again, going from 11-inch to 11.1 and 12.9 to 13 inches. So slightly larger OLED displays. Young does think that Apple could bring an OLED 13-inch MacBook Air to market maybe in 2024. And Ming-Chi Kuo had mentioned that he believes that Apple will have an OLED MacBook in 2024 as well, although he didn't specify a model. It would kind of make sense that they might start uh, with the MacBook Air because, again, wanting to make that lighter, slimmer, that technology would lend itself uh, to that quite well. So we'll have to wait and see, um, but maybe some things happening with the iPad Pro. So another little glimmer of hope for uh, 2023 in Apple hardware. Here's kind of a cool thing. Qi 2, the next wireless standard, has been being developed. It's expected to be coming in 2023. And we had CES here at the beginning of the year. And there, I believe, the Wireless Power Consortium announced that Qi 2 is coming sometime in 2023 and that they've been working with Apple to develop the next generation of the standard based on Apple's MagSafe technology. So they're going to build in the magnetic technology for better alignment. It will allow you to perfectly align your devices with the wireless charger G2. Uh, they're calling it the magnetic power profile and it will be compatible with MagSafe. So 
you're going to get better alignment. And the whole idea behind that is improved energy efficiency, faster charging. I like that they have to kind of give it a different marketing term because obviously MagSafe is Apple's term and technology. So they're not licensing that or they're not giving that over. Uh, but it's basically going to be the same stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, so backwards compatibility i would imagine would be a thing which is going to be nice and uh g2 coming sometime in 2023 and then the dynamic island which i think is one of the coolest features of the iphone 14 i absolutely love it uh iphone 14 pros as well it's a really cool neat feature i'm enjoying it more and more especially as more third-party developers kind of take advantage of it uh it's great (laughs) now that i'm in a place that actually has weather my carrot weather app uh lets me know when rain is coming or snow or when the the weather might be changing via the dynamic island and i am really enjoying that feature well mark german says that that feature will come to all iphone 15 models this year Uh, But here's a little odd thing about the move. There have also been reports this week from sites like the Alec that say Apple is planning to leave the island with the release of iPhone 16 in 2024. They claim that Apple is going to move to under display technology for the true depth camera system. A lot of the sensors, they are going to apparently leave a punch hole for the main camera. And it's likely to start just with the pro models. So I guess the island will get one more year on the non-pro models before syncing fully. But, you know, developing and expanding Dynamic Island to just have it around for a couple of years it's an interesting thing. Maybe they'll do something a little bit different with it when they move to under under display technology. Maybe there'll be some remnants of it. I, I don't really know. But Dynamic Island, at the very least, this year coming to all iPhone 15 models, according to rumors. It's also expected to be the year that the iPhone moves to USB-C. And it's sounding like, and we had heard this rumor for a while, that Apple is also going to be finally moving to solid-state haptic buttons on the on the side so the volume buttons and the sleep sleep wake button are going to um, be solid state have taptic engines in them apparently two additional taptic engines to simulate clicking and give you that kind of clicky feel we've heard this now this year from at least two analysts including ming chi kuo we're also hearing that apple could on the pro models this year take a note from the apple watch ultra and use a titanium frame instead of the stainless steel frame And then we get to some interesting reporting on the iPhone pricing for this year. There's a Twitter leaker this past week with a somewhat reliable track record, UX1122, who says that Apple's considering a price cut on the iPhone 15 Plus and by proxy, likely the iPhone 15 model. Says the reason is poor sales performance of the iPhone 14 Plus. It didn't do that well this year. And it was Apple's you know lower priced iPhone 14 model in the larger size. Uh, and then we had a China, the Chinese website Weibo saying that there are rumors that Apple may want to increase the price on the iPhone 15 Pro model. So between these two things, it's looking like Apple may be considering kind of widening the gap and the separation between the Pro and non-Pro versions of the iPhone. They've already been doing that 
feature-wise, but it sounds like they may bring the pricing in line to match that, which is an interesting move because Apple very rarely reduces the price of iPhones. They usually try to keep it the same or when factors make it necessary, increase the price. So would you be more interested in Apple's entry-level iPhone models if they brought the price down a little bit. It wouldn't likely be, I would imagine, a huge drop. A lot of the reports thinking around 100 bucks, which I think is probably spot on. So I could see them going $100 in each direction. $100 lower starting price point for the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Plus, and then a $100 increase on the iPhone 15 Pro and iPhone 15 Pro Max. So would that change your buying behavior? For me, it's really going to come down to, I think, the feature separation more and what I'm willing to pay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it got me thinking for sure when I started hearing these reports that maybe this is the year where I don't go pro. I, I stick with the less expensive, maybe slightly featureless models. But I don't know. That's, that's a tough call for me because I like to talk about all the new amazing features that the pros deliver on the show. But we'll have to wait and see. Who knows if the pricing thing will even become a reality. And then also in the iPhone lineup this year, Ming-Chi Kuo is saying that the iPhone SE 4 has now officially been canceled by Apple. There were rumors they were looking to do an update to the iPhone SE. Uh, thought that Apple was going to have this be the first model that the their, their Apple-designed 5G modem would come to a device. He now says that Apple will continue to use Qualcomm for 5G chips throughout 2024. So, you know, despite it sounds like acquiring a number of people and uh, Intel's modem division, Apple continues to struggle with internally developing a 5G modem. Bloomberg did say that uh, the efforts for the release have been pushed back until at least 2024 and that Apple eventually does want to also develop a Wi-Fi and Bluetooth chip in-house, hopefully by 2025. And they have the ultimate goal of developing a singular chip in-house for cellular Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Uh, you know, combining things that gives them, again, the ability to kind of slim things down, more room for additional features and functionality. So Apple continues to struggle with that. It sounds like they're stuck with Qualcomm for a bit longer, at least again through 2024, maybe 2025. And as you probably know, one of the reasons why Apple wants to move modem development and Wi-Fi Bluetooth chip development in-house is because they like to control their own destiny. They've done that to great effect and success with things like Apple Silicon. They've done a lot of that stuff over the years. Uh, and they want to continue that trend, it looks like, into the future for also their own displays. A report from Bloomberg claims that Apple is looking to develop their own display designs. They hope to have a micro-LED display for high-end Apple Watches, assuming the Apple Watch Ultra or whatever new model is going to come out by 2024 or 2025. The idea would be to start with a smaller display like the Apple Watch and then extend that into other devices. I would imagine it would kind of go up the chain into iPhones and then iPads and Mac displays and that sort of thing. Micro LED would offer 
more brightness, more color saturation, much better viewing angles. According to the report, they describe people who have seen prototypes of the Apple display as saying they look like the images are literally painted on top of the glass. So going to be really nice displays and technology. We know that Apple, from other rumors, has had hopes of transitioning to micro LED displays from OLED for a while, but there are a lot of technological challenges around the technology and also high costs for manufacturing. So they have some hurdles to work through uh, before we actually sort of see that. And like Apple does with Apple Silicon, Apple would design displays and manufacturing techniques in-house but they still would be reliant on their manufacturing partners for the actual display uh, production. And 9to5Mac did a great job of sort of pointing out and reminding us about the subtlety of this, that this is actually a change for Apple. This isn't really a massive rethinking of how they build displays. Apple actually already does spec out displays and work with manufacturing partners to have them made The difference here is that, one, they're not getting into actual manufacturing of their own displays. Some reports have kind of made it sound like that that was was the case. They don't do that. They don't do manufacturing. And I don't imagine that's a business they want to get into. But what would happen is instead of just saying to a supplier like Samsung, hey, Samsung, build us a custom display and it needs to meet these features and these specs and then letting sort of Samsung figure out how to design and build that. Apple, in this case, is going to be fully developing a design spec and manufacturing techniques and processes and giving those to the manufacturer and saying, here's what we want you to build, very detailed to exact specifications, and here's how you build it. Here's the techniques for building it. Now just build it. So they become more of just, you know, the person putting it together based on everything that Apple has provided. So it's, again, subtle difference, but it is a change. Uh, Interestingly, at the same time this is happening, one of Apple's main display providers, BOE, announced that, or reports came out, that they are looking to build a massive new manufacturing facility in Vietnam. And Ming-Chi Kuo, as a matter of fact, even recently mentioned that BOE could become Apple's largest iPhone display manufacturer by 2024. This new facility probably um, even may be funded by Apple. Apple often gives uh, funding to to manufacturing partners to help them build new facilities, uh, although I don't think I heard that in the report. Um, but the new BOE facility, it's going to be an OLED facility. It's estimated to cost around $250 million to build, expected to be completed by 2025. But I have to imagine that if Apple's looking for display manufacturing partners for its own designs, it's probably heavily working with those partners to influence and build out factories that could support something like micro LED display manufacturing. So I don't know if this facility would be one of those. We haven't heard that in these reports. Again, it's an OLED facility, but Apple will heavily use it probably for iPhone displays, at least initially, but I could easily see something like that transitioning or, um, you know, hearing more reports of additional Apple partners 
coming online to kind of support this display effort. So Apple, again, wanting to bring more stuff in-house and again, not very surprising. So that'll be an interesting development and we'll watch that over in the next year. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more rumors surrounding that. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple show sponsors, starting with ZocDoc. You know, if you've been stewing about a health problem that you have and you're thinking, about resorting to texting a group chat maybe to your friends or your family to get their opinions you're probably extremely unlikely to find quality medical advice in that group chat but you can find it from a doctor on ZocDoc they have thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc and they are there to help you they listen like a friend and give you the expert care you need so no more doctor roulette or scrounging the internet for questionable reviews with ZocDoc you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who's patient reviewed and fits their needs and schedule and it's just right go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast and download the ZocDoc app for free then find and book a top rated doctor today many available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MacCast, ZocDoc dot com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. And I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. Did you know that property crimes like burglaries and package thefts spike over the winter? That's why now is the best time to secure your home with award-winning home security. Simply Safe is the home security system I recommend to everybody. Make it your resolution to start the new year with greater peace of mind and safety for you and your family. And here's why I love it. The customizability and flexibility is amazing. Maybe you start off with one of their systems. It has everything you need to get set up quickly and easily. That's what I did. Or you can completely customize the system and build it with all of the sensors and coverage you need to blanket your whole home in security. And either way, setup and installation is easy. And as your needs grow or change, your Simply Safe system can grow with you. It helped me when I moved and I needed some extra sensors and cameras. I just added them on. And again, setup was a breeze. Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by U.S. News and World Report. This is for the third year in a row. And in an emergency, their 24-7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify that a threat is real so you can get priority police response. Simply Safe is a whole home security system with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door. HD security cameras for inside and out, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors to detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. 24-7 professional monitoring service costs under $1 a day, less than half the price of ADT's traditionally professionally installed system. And with the top-rated Simply Safe app, you stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere. Arm, disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, 
or adjust your system settings. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash MacCast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com slash MacCast. There's no safe like SimpliSafe. And a huge thank you to SimpliSafe for their support of the show. Apple Music Sing, Apple's new karaoke-like feature that goes along with their lyrics in Apple Music. We've had some back and forth, as you likely know, with speculation on this show about how this new feature works. Early on, I got a question from the community like, hey, Adam, how does this feature work? And I couldn't find any information on it. They couldn't either. We did some speculation. I thought that Apple was leveraging some of their AI and machine learning technology inside Apple Silicon. We had others of you think that they might be leveraging the cloud and their access to music and source tracks because the feature is not available on every track in the music store. So possibly they were doing processing on their end and then parallel sending separate tracks through the cloud streaming and you could kind of mix them in real time on your device, you know, lowering the vocals, pulling those out. And the theory was, hey, there's actually separate audio tracks. All of these, I think, are really good theories, but now we have the answer officially from Apple themselves via TechCrunch. I'll have a link to their article in the show notes at MacDask.com if you want to read the whole thing. But Apple told them that the technology uses, quote, an on-device machine learning algorithm that processes the music in real time and that... Quote, the algorithm isolates the vocals from the rest of the song. So it is done on device and in real time. As a matter of fact, in a different Forbes piece, they also noted that specifically the processing is done on device. So it's all happening on device. It's all happening in real time. Apple leveraging likely Apple Silicon and the the neural engine that's built in there. And uh, they also said in the piece that Apple used their experience in developing noise cancellation tools for things like FaceTime to help develop the technology that they're using in Apple Music Sing. So there we have it, the definitive answer from the company themselves. Uh, I also told you, I think, last time or maybe the time before about a high-end plug-in from a company called Isotope that uh, can do a similar thing but it was expensive and it took a while to actually process the audio pretty much one-to-one so you could take a track you could run it through the Isotope tool and it would give you the ability to kind of remix the different tracks and stuff like that but if you had a five-minute track it took about five minutes to do the processing. So that's a cool tool and it's been around for years, not happening on device on an iPhone. So Apple's tech is definitely amazing. But this week also, Dan wrote in to tell me about an app and a cloud-based service called Moises AI. And hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. M-O-I-S-E-S, Moises AI. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But that lets you upload an audio track from your music library or from a file or or a URL and process it to separate out not just the vocals, but they can also separate out the drums, the bass, 
and other tracks and then let you dynamically in real time within the app mix them or remix them however you want. And it goes even further because you can also adjust the tempo of the song and also the key. And they have a new beta feature that even shows you the chords in the chord progression as the song is playing as well. I tried it. It's pretty amazing. You can use it for free with limited functionality. They limit the number of tracks per day. I think that you can process and there's uh, some limitations to some of the features, some of the more advanced features like the new beta chord progression thing is not available uh, if you're on the free version. I have to say it's really pretty impressive. Uh, downsides are you do need to send the tracks to the cloud for processing. And again, if you want some of its advanced features, uh, you do have to pay. And it is a subscription app, although I think the pricing for what it can do, especially if you're a musician or a professional or somebody who can leverage this, is pretty amazing. It's four bucks at Four bucks per month, three ninety nine a month, or thirty nine dollars, forty dollars for a year subscription, and it really, I think, is a more professional tool. But it's pretty neat, and again, you can try it out, play around with it for free. I was surprised at how quickly it processed the files that I uploaded. Uh, I thought it was going to take a while. It took just a couple minutes, and I got the notification saying, "Hey, your your song is ready," and it does a great job. I mean, you really can separate out just the bass line or just the drum track and uh, just hear that. So it's doing some amazing stuff, but over on the server side. Again, I think the really amazing thing about Apple Music and what Apple is doing is, again, they're keeping everything on device private. It doesn't have to go up to the cloud. Uh, It doesn't cost a lot of money. And it's really, really pretty neat. It's kind of the amazing times that we're living in. A lot of great stuff happening with AI, even if sometimes some of it might be a little bit a little bit scary. But love to get your thoughts and opinions on all this. If you have additional things to comment on, shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. And then I had a great question come up recently on the MacCast Patreon Slack. Yeah, if you're a Patreon uh, supporter of the MacCast, we do have a kind of private Slack channel set up. And uh, we often get questions and tech help and try and help each other out in there. And a listener noted that when starting up their Mac, they noticed that a lot of apps were opening up automatically. They were already opened, like things like Slack, Chrome, Messenger, Maps. And in looking at this, and I think this relates to something we talked about recently on the MacCast as well with um, Mac OS Ventura and some of the system setting changes, you know, we've always had log- login items where certain apps would launch during login. And this uh, MacCast member noticed that there... They would go into system settings, general login items, and these apps were not in the open at login. So I was wondering what is happening on the Mac that's causing these apps to start up. And what it is, is the Mac will start up with any apps that you had open uh, from before shutting down. And it's a feature. I I think I disabled this. I don't know if it's on by default, but I do think it is default behavior. So it's trying to help you out, right? You sitting there, you're working on your Mac, you have a bunch of applications and windows and things open. Your desktop's kind of the way you like it. You go to shut down 
And the next time you launch it, when everything comes back up, you're right back where you started. So it's a convenience feature. Um, but you can actually change how that works. It's a little bit not obvious where the setting is, though, because you're not going to find it in your system preferences or your setting. But if you look closely at the dialog that appears as you're shutting down your Mac, you should see a little checkbox and it will say reopen windows when logging back in. Chances are that is checked if that's what's happening with your Mac when you start up after doing a shutdown or a restart and everything opens back up. You can toggle that when shutting down, uncheck that, and that won't happen. I have mine unchecked because I like to start with a clean slate or desktop each time I open up my Mac. Um, and this toggle basically controls that feature. So you can do that and it will not open everything up when you re launch your Mac or vice versa. If you prefer, you know, whichever way you prefer to have it, you can set it your way. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, there is a related and similar, similar behavior that goes along with your, your apps as well. Uh, you can have any previously opened windows reopen the next time you launch the app or not have them reopen depending upon your settings. Now this setting actually is in system settings desktop and dock on your Mac. And there is a close windows when quitting an application toggle. It is, I believe, toggled off by default. So again, default behavior is if you're working in an app, say Safari, and you have a bunch of windows open, uh, you quit Safari. The next time you open up Safari, it will reopen all of those windows and get you back up and running the way you were before. If you prefer not to have that, and again, I like clean slates when I do things. So I've disabled this feature. You can turn the feature off from this setting. So when you close all your apps, all the windows will be closed. And the next time you launch the app, you'll have, you know, basically a fresh application. So again, it's just depending upon your preferences. An interesting thing on this one is there is a keyboard toggle that you can use to get it to do the opposite behavior from your default. So if for example, you're like me and you have the option on that closes all the windows every time you quit the app. If you hold down the option key when quitting, so command option quit or just hold down the option key and choose quit from the application menu, it will do the opposite of whatever your setting is. So in my case, when I quit, it'll quit and keep the windows. So bring them back opened the next time I launched the app or quit and close windows again, depending upon where your setting is. And then finally, another thing related to kind of closing windows and having a clean slate or clean desktop. Another trick is, uh, and this works within the finder. And I think a lot of applications as well. If you want to, if you have a bunch of windows open, so say you're in Safari or you're in the Finder and you have five or six windows open and you want to quickly close all of them in a single action. You can hold down the option key when clicking the little close icon, the, the red icon, and this will cause all of the windows within that app or within the Finder to close all of them. So you can quickly do that as well.
So great question, again, that came up in the MattCast Patreon Slack and a couple great tips and hints and tricks for you uh, to go along with that. And then finally, for here at the beginning of the year, last thing that I have for you this week is a little thing of the moment based on my recent move to South Dakota. So I've moved to a place, like I said, where there's a lot more weather, uh, specifically snow and ice. We get snowstorms and icy roads. And so as part of our winter plan, uh, we decided we were going to build little emergency kits to keep in our vehicles. So I went out and I bought containers and bottles of water, flashlights, blankets, basic tools, basic first aid kits, non-perishable foods, put those all into these boxes. And another thing that we wanted in there was a jump starter, a lithium ion battery jump starter because in cold weather your your batteries can die and you sometimes need that sort of thing. So I found these NOCO Boost Plus devices at Walmart, I think. Uh, they're about 99 bucks. You can get them a bunch of places. I'll have a link to them in the show notes at matcast.com. But basically, you charge this up via USB. It is a lithium battery. It also comes with little jumper cable leads that you can plug into one end. And it's good to jumpstart your car for up to 20 jump starts. And it comes with the cables and a little uh, bag that you can put everything in. It's really compact, so it's great for putting in this little emergency kit. I've actually already had to use it twice now to jump start some cars, and I can vouch it works amazing. Uh, much more convenient than having to find somebody in a parking lot to help you jump start your car and hope that they have jumper cables on them. So I love this product, but more importantly, and where it ties into the MacCast here, is all of these also have a USB out port on them. So we also threw in there um, some USB to Lightning, USB to uh, USB-C cables, and you can also use them to keep your phone charged in an emergency as well. So if you're stranded and your iPhone battery is dying or something like that, you can plug that in and uh, get charged up and continue to use your device. So nice little safety thing. Also a nice emergency battery. I would say it doesn't replace like portable batteries. Really, this is meant to be a thing that's kept in your car. I mean, they're pretty heavy, pretty big and bulky compared to other batteries. So if you're just looking for like a portable battery, there are, are better options for this. But for something that can charge your phone and jumpstart your car, these are pretty amazing. I know there's other products out there and other versions. So some of you might have additional recommend recommendations for products you like. If you want to send those in, uh, that would be great. Matcast at gmail.com. These are the ones I found. And, uh, you know, I found them to work very, very nicely. They have good indicators on them. They're very easy to use. Um, so the Norco Boost Plus is my thing of the moment. First one of 2023. And with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Before I leave you, I do want to thank a couple of our show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. You can find them at BackbeatMedia.com. 
As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. You can leave a voicemail there. And if you need show notes, links to, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast you can check out the maccast facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on instagram just maccast on instagram but with that that is going to do it for now happy 2023 welcome to the new year and i will talk to you all again real soon (laughs) 